Back we are for the Thursday edition of Talk with a Southern Accent. I am your host, your moderator, your friend, and your Southern ambassador. I am John Rawl, and here at Y'all, we are a show that covers everything about the South. News, sports, politics, food, travel, and a lot of music talk. In fact, I'll be very straightforward with you. Today is the perfect example of what the Y'all Show is all about. We have news and information from across the South that we're going to get to momentarily. A tornado in New Orleans. I'm talking downtown New Orleans. What in the world? That's not something commonly seen there in the Crescent City. I'll share with you what happened on Wednesday in terms of weather. We also have an update on the gas prices and what's going on with the Colonial Pipeline, the company based out of Georgia, which has been all over the national news this weekend for good measure as <laughs> the pipeline being shut down has dramatically affected the country. Also, if you're in the Mid-South, what's also dramatically affecting you, and if not now, it will be the closure of the Hernando de Soto Bridge in Memphis. We'll share what we know about the repairs for that. How long did the experts think the Interstate 40 Bridge over Memphis, over the Mississippi River in Memphis, how long that's going to likely take to get fixed? Nationwide, what's going on? Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, Liz Cheney, the Wyoming Republican, booted out of her House leadership role. We'll have some info on that. And an update on a story from Columbia, South Carolina. We told you about the University of South Carolina president really kind of uh, embarrassing himself, if you will, over the past weekend at his own university's commencement where he was the featured speaker. He called the University of South Carolina his employer, the University of California, and then he also plagiarized a commencement speech from seven years prior, a pretty famous commencement speech. We've got an update on Bob Caslin, president of Carolina, the one in Columbia, the University of South Carolina. Update on him. A member of the Staples Singers has died at 85. We'll share info on that. And then also Chick-fil-A limiting sauces to customers because of shortages in the industry. And believe it or not, I'm checking the, the news feed here. An update on the story out of Houston we told you about earlier in the week. The tiger that's running around the Houston area is still going. And I'm not talking Tiger Woods. A real Bengal tiger is on the lam in Houston. And I'll have an un- informational update on that here on today's Y'all Show. That's part of our headlines We get to sports, and on Wednesday night, the NFL released the 2021 schedule. We'll kind of walk through your southern teams in the NFL and kind of highlight some of their key games on the docket for 2021. That's ahead in our sports for this hour. Also, this hour, hour one, we have our SEC report, an update on SEC softball, as that SEC tournament for the softball ladies is up and going And that's taking place in Tuscaloosa at the University of Alabama. And we've already seen some teams eliminated. Update on that. It's a big weekend in SEC baseball this weekend. In fact, the Tennessee Vols and the number one Arkansas Razorbacks are getting together in Knoxville. We're going to hear audio from Arkansas coach Dave Van Horn as his team gets ready to head east and face the Vols. So info on some college baseball from the SEC. Plus, we'll share with you the best Hamburger dives in each SEC town. All that in our SEC report this hour. We'll wrap up hour one with hashtag hullabaloo, our fun time going on social media and people also 
connecting to us. And how can you connect to us here at the Y'all Show? You can mail us anytime. It's free of charge, and we check our inbox 24 hours a day. M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. That's the easiest way there is to reach us here at the show that really is all about the South. Mail at y'all.com. And our number to call or to text anytime you want to, we want to hear from you guys. 803-816-1170 is the way you can get in touch with y'all. 803-816-1170. Now, what I just told you is all coming up here in this first hour of today's y'all show. But fellas and and ladies out there, we have a three-hour show. So I told you that this is the quintessential example of what y'all is all about here on this Thursday y'all show. What do we have coming in hour two today? Oh, you're going to love it. We've got entertainment headlines coming your way. Some big news from a bunch of different Southerners. Ellen DeGeneres is in the news. Say that five times fast. Ellen DeGeneres in the news. Big news for the Louisiana native. Also, we will share with you some news out of Nashville in our entertainment spotlight. Then we're going to go to the great southern city of Los Angeles. It is in the L.A. area that Chris Hillman resides. He's a native Californian. We're going to talk to a founding member of the Birds, the 1960s group. He also morphed from the Birds to the Flying Burrito Brothers. He was in that band with Graham Parsons and others. Then in the 1980s, he helped form country music's The Desert Rose Band. And he's got a new book. And he is going to be on with us in hour two. Chris Hillman, go ahead and set your DVR. He's coming on. And we're going to have a great conversation with this music legend. I mean, he's been there in the height of the 60s. He was working with Emmylou Harris. He was working with David Crosby. Crosby and he were members of the Birds, which were kind of the American equivalent to the Beatles. And the Beatles even wrote a song about the Birds. And Chris Hillman is going to be on in hour two of today's Y'all Show. Now, that's exciting stuff there. And then hour three today, it's our closing argument. Art Cruz will be dropping by with thoughts on sports, life, and relationships. I don't know about the relationship part, but yeah, all that right here on Talk with a Southern Accent. So go ahead and get ready for a very, very good show, if you don't mind me bragging, because I, I think it's a darn good show. Okay, what's going in on across the country Colonial Pipeline, the Georgia-based company, is restarting operations, and this follows being shut down for several days after a major hack. The nation's largest fuel pipeline restarted operations Wednesday. The disruption of Colonial Pipeline has caused people to be waiting in lines across the southeast and up the eastern seaboard as distribution problems and panic buying have led to a lot of gas stations running out of petrol and many people having an increased cost for getting their fuel. Colonial initiated the restart of pipeline operations late on Wednesday, saying in a statement that all lines, including those lateral lines that have been running manually, will return to normal operations. However, and a big big footnote here, it will take a couple of days for deliveries to return to normal. 
according to Colonial Pipeline. So the pipeline, which delivers about 45% of the fuel consumed on the East Coast, hit on Friday of last week with a cyber attack by hackers who lock up computer systems and demand a ransom to release them. And I don't know how they handle the whole hacking thing, but it looks like this is one crisis that's going to get solved. However, how could this have happened? And how are we going to stop it from happening again? I think it was Colonial Pipeline about a year and a half ago in West Georgia, maybe East Alabama. It it was around, I guess it would have been around Carrollton, Georgia. Somewhere in that area, there was a disruption of this pipeline, and I'm pretty sure it was Colonial. And that also affected the fuel prices and, and shortages uh, that might have been more like three years ago now that I think about it. But this, this pipeline's had a history of problems, and we just, as a country, we see what happens. We get paralyzed when we have the slightest of things happen. And here's a case of a computer glitch, and it was a criminal computer glitch, by the way, caused by some foreign actor, it appears, having a major, major hiccup, if you will, to our country here this week. Okay, if that hiccup might be solved, I can't tell you when the Hernando de Soto Bridge is going to be solved. That's the bridge over the Mississippi River connecting Memphis, Tennessee to West Memphis, Arkansas. And repairs of this bridge could take months after a crack was found in the span. And now each day, one of the busiest bridges across the Mississippi and the entire country is it's going to face and, and have people going many, many miles out of their way to get it across that river, across the mighty Mississippi, as thousands of trucks and cars are now having to detour, mostly across the Interstate 55 bridge, a couple of miles south of the Hernando de Soto bridge. But this six-lane bridge was shut down Tuesday after inspectors found a significant fracture in one of the two 900-foot horizontal steel beams that are crucial for the bridge's integrity, that according to the Arkansas Department of Transportation. Of course, this bridge is affecting both Arkansas and Tennessee as it connects the two states crossing over the Mississippi. Both states' transportation agencies said they would take make sure the 48-year-old, nearly two-mile-long bridge is safe before reopening, but it looks like it could be weeks, if not months, before the Hernando de Soto Bridge is fixed across the Mississippi River. Now, as I said, traffic being rerouted to the I-55 Bridge, and that is, I mean, I I don't know the exact age, but I think it's about 70 years old, that particular bridge. And it's a scary bridge if you've ever been across that one. A little less scary to go across the Hernando de Soto Interstate 40 Bridge But, yeah, it's a traffic nightmare, especially rush hour and things like that when one of your main arteries connecting you over the Mississippi is shut down right now, and it will be for quite some time. They're really a little bit hesitant to give us an exact guess on when this thing's going to get fixed. But right now, that is going to affect people like FedEx. FedEx, if you're getting something sent FedEx ground and it's not going through the Memphis airport, but likely – somehow going through their hub, that could delay. And I've seen FedEx already come out with a statement, the Memphis-based company. So, yeah, just be careful. Note to self, if you're going to be in the Memphis area, make sure you 
go way out of your way to avoid some of the traffic problems. You might have to do one of two things if you've got to cross that Mississippi. You might want to just stay the heck out of Memphis. So what you want to do is get your pen and paper out. You want to head toward Dyersburg, Tennessee, if you're coming from the east, or if you're in the west or northeast coming east, you might want to head toward, I guess it would be Cape Girardeau area. Come on down, and there's a bridge across the Mississippi well north of Memphis, kind of connecting the Boot Hill of Missouri to Dyersburg, Tennessee. Then on the southern side of Memphis, you have to go all the way down to Helena, Arkansas, technically now Helena, West Helena. There's a bridge connecting that city on the West Bank over to the Mississippi Delta. I would tell you a town, but there's nothing over there on the Mississippi side. (laughs) So you'd have to check that out. In fact, that bridge there is famous because it is the scene of the movie version of In the Heat of the Night. They're right there at the Helena slash Mississippi Delta bridge for the final scene of that great movie in the heat of the night. I think that's the name of the movie. I know the TV series was in the heat of the night. But, yeah, that's going on Memphis, so be careful. Okay, let's talk a little weather. And on Wednesday, a tornado came through the city of New Orleans, not the train, but the actual city, and it damaged homes and knocked down utility poles, and it caused a lot of havoc there in the Crescent City. Storms hit the city overnight, and a tornado touched down at 2 in the morning tracked 5.26 miles through uptown New Orleans and the Algiers Point area. And I'm seeing some of the photos of this thing, and it uh, looks pretty rough there in New Orleans. The deputy chief administrative officer for infrastructure in the city is Ramsey Green. He said 10,000 people lost power, but says it could have been much worse, saying, frankly, we're very lucky that the impact of human life was what it was, which was very little No injuries or deaths reported as of Wednesday night, but a tornado blowing through the Big Easy with the highest wind report coming in at 62 miles per hour. This is a city not necessarily used to tornadoes, but some officials are saying this is a good dry run for the forthcoming hurricane season, which will be here, of course, before you know it. More headlines coming out of the Louisiana-Mississippi area. The man that was the supervisor on the Deepwater Horizon drilling rig, Jimmy Harrell, has died at the age of 65. He was the crew supervisor and had a reputation for speaking of his mind. And if you saw the movie about the Deepwater Horizon, he was portrayed in that movie by Kurt Russell. Mr. Jimmy was his name there on the Deepwater Horizon in the 2016 film That was a great movie. If you haven't seen it, please do. But yes, as this man has passed away in Morton, Mississippi, at his home there, that's where he died. Jimmy Harrell, the man in charge of drilling on the Deepwater Horizon with the mobile rig exploded in the Gulf of Mexico back around 2010, April 20th of 2010, as this BP oil rig blew up off of Venice, Louisiana, 50 miles out in the Gulf and 11 crew members who worked under Harold's command were killed after oil and gas shot out of the miles-long well they had just finished drilling into the seafloor. And, again, this movie is out, Deepwater Horizon. Mr. Jimmy has passed away. Jimmy Harrell dying at the age of 65. 
The coronavirus virus pandemic has reached its lowest death level in 10 months. That's fantastic news with the number of lives lost dropping to single digits in well over half the states of the country. Some days, some states are having numbers of zero. Confirmed infections have fallen to about 38,000 per day on average, the lowest mark since mid-September. While that still calls for some concern, reported cases of the coronavirus have gone down 85% from a daily peak of more than a quarter million back in early January. So, yes, COVID-19 deaths have definitely fallen off. Now, COVID-19 deaths, an average of 600 per day nationwide. Still way too many. In fact, on the coronavirus side of things, I'm going to likely, at the start of Hour 3, talk a little coronavirus with Art Cruz, our closing argument, as he's an attorney. And I've got something to say and uh, something to kind of propose to him, get his thoughts on something that hit me that's coronavirus related. So help me remember to ask the counselor when he's in in hour number three. Now, because of the coronavirus, something's been popping up and it's deadly across the country, and that's illegal street racing. And we're seeing people get killed. A 52-year-old mother of two, Jay Sanford, was driving home in Atlanta back in November when a man in a Dodge Challenger muscle car was street racing and crashed into her head-on, killing her. And that's just one example of street racers blocking roads, even interstates, to keep police away when they tear around and perform stunts, often getting these stunts captured on their their iPhones and putting them up on the web for idiots around the world to look on in amazement. But you're seeing illegal drag racing and street racing becoming very popular and it's happened as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. Remember, we're most of us stuck in the home. One of the few things you got that you might can enjoy is your automobile. And you got a lot of pent-up frustration and anger. And, and uh, I guess you could call it machismo. And some people want to go out and show it all off. And that is happening around the country. And people, unfortunately, are dying. In fact, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, has signed a bill named the Sanford Bill, And he did this last week after it passed the General Assembly. Besides mandating at least 10 days of jail time for all drag racing convictions, the measure requires people convicted a third time within five years to forfeit their vehicles. As the governor said, this illegal activity is very dangerous. Our goal is simple, to protect every family and every community. And then, as we said, this is being named in honor of 52-year-old mom of two in Atlanta, Jay Sanford, killed by an illegal drag racer at the end of 2020 to Washington DC on Wednesday, as expected, Liz Cheney removed from her house Republican leadership position, primarily over the fact that she was against president Trump and house Republicans getting rid of her. And now they've got a Congresswoman from New York as their, I guess, top female. I, I, I think it's the third in line in the Republican party in the house following McCarthy from California and Scalise from Louisiana. And now you've got Liz Cheney out and a New York Congresswoman is now in that role following Cheney's ouster. An update from a story on Wednesday we told you about the university of South Carolina president, Bob Caslin came under fire after he did two big 
no-nos in a commencement address, his first commencement address as president of the University of South Carolina last weekend in Columbia. He plagiarized and he called the University of South Carolina his own employer, the University of California. Two things you don't do. So what did he do? He offered his resignation. Initially, the board of trustees at the University of South Carolina rejected that. But now he has been let go or at least his resignation has been accepted as after thinking it over, they did thank him for his service, the board of trustees at the University of South Carolina, and he's out of there. Harris Pastides, who was actually the predecessor to Caslin as president of the University of South Carolina, is going to take over on an interim basis during a search for a permanent replacement. And yes, an unfortunate thing, again, is he called his own school, of which he's the president of, the University of California. And this is in Columbia, South Carolina. A lot of differences between South Carolina and Columbia, or, or South Carolina and California. But again, Caslin apologized Wednesday, saying, I'm sorry to those I've let down. I understand the responsibilities and higher standards of senior-level leadership when those are not met, trust is lost, and when trust is lost, one is unable to lead. He became the University of South Carolina president in 2019, and at that time, the retired Army general and West Point superintendent came under a lot of fire. People didn't think he deserved to be president of this particular civilian school, if you will, but they stuck by him and gave him the job, and now he's out after roughly two years leading the University of South Carolina. Other higher education news, this from Maryland. A federal judge has approved a $577 million settlement in a lawsuit over underfunding at Maryland's four HBCUs. The deal approved Wednesday is going to give $555 million in extra funding over 10 years, starting in 2023 to historically black colleges, Bowie State University, Coppin State University, Morgan State University in Baltimore, and the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. The total amount includes $22 million in legal costs for the plaintiffs who spent 15 years litigating these claims. Now, this is a lawsuit that's been going on, as we said, and it accuses the state of Maryland of underfunding the institutions while developing programs at white schools that directly competed with them, draining away prospective Students, And this is another example of some of our southern states out here who've had these major legal battles going on, mostly being sued by HBCUs, wanting their cut of what they felt like was the amount that they deserved to have. They were underfunded by the state legislatures of their respective state. Okay, that is what's going on in the world of news across the southeast. We will have more news coming in Hour 2 of today's Y'all Show, so make sure you hang on for all of that, including the loss of a member of the Staples Singers. We'll have updates on that and even a Brett Favre story. Have you heard about Brett Favre and his native state of Mississippi having a little roundabout on the uh, gridiron of, of money? Yeah, we'll have info on that coming up on Y'all. And we also have here in this first hour – an SEC report. We'll hear from the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks baseball team. That's headed your way as the Y'all Show here on a Thursday is all about y'all. 
Stay tuned. From the 1969 debut album, The Gilded Palace of Sin, that is the Flying Burrito Brothers with members like Graham Parsons and Chris Hillman working in that group. In hour two of today's Y'all Show, we'll be talking with Chris Hillman of that band right there, the Flying Burrito Brothers. And before he was in that band, Chris was a member of The Birds, a founding member of The Birds alongside David Crosby, Roger McGuinn, and others. And then he went on in the 90s and, and 80s before the 90s, 80s and 90s, he was a member of and lead singer of the Desert Rose Band, country music hit-making group. Chris Hillman on with us an hour or two of The Y'all Show, a fun interview. I bet you you're going to enjoy it, so stay tuned for that. Let's kick off this segment of The Y'all Show, not talking about music, but the music of the NFL's 2021 schedule release that happened Wednesday evening, the NFL always doing a great job with their production, and that's what happened on Wednesday night. And we know now that the first week of the NFL's first game is going to be the Buccaneers hosting the Dallas Cowboys on a Thursday night football game early September. Let me walk through, if you will, a look at some of the southern NFL schedules and kind of how I see some of the key non-traditional opponents for these football teams heading your way in the month of September whenever the season gets underway. The Houston Texans, with a real question they've got right now of who's going to be their leader at quarterback into the new year, they get their season started against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now that is an AFC South brethren of the Texans, so nothing too surprising there. They do play at Cleveland in Week 2. And that'll be good. Then week three, Carolina comes into Houston for a game. And that with two teams, one team tried to woo Deshaun Watson when he was still the poster boy of of success for the Texans. And we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. But that is an NFC NFC team coming south to Houston for a matchup early in the season. The Texans also will have the Rams coming into Houston week eight. Ought to be a fun matchup there. That's just some of the matchups going on for the Houston Texans in the 2020 schedule release that came out on Wednesday. As far as the Jags with their new coach, Urban Meyer, on patrol now, he's got Trevor Lawrence, he's got Tim Tebow, going to be suiting up, we think, for them as a tight end. 
the Jags' 2021 schedule. Their season gets underway on September 12th, as we said, at Houston, but they follow that up with a game at home. Their home opener is the 19th against the Denver Broncos. As far as teams not often found on their schedule, week eight, they've got the Seahawks coming into Duval County. That's October 31st for that matchup. And then they will be playing the Atlanta Falcons week 12. That will be also there on the Georgia-Florida border as you'll see these two kind of neighbors playing against each other in the 2021 regular season. The Tennessee Titans, as they try to rebound with the departure of their offensive coordinator off to Atlanta to be the head coach, Arthur Smith. What are the Titans going to do 2021-wise? Well, they start their season on week one, having the Arizona Cardinals come to the banks of the Cumberland, as that's the week one opponent. The Titans have the Jacksonville Jaguars at at Duval there. Week five is when that matchup happens. And then they will be playing out at SoFi Stadium against the Rams week 9. November 7th is the date of that game. And another game of note here they've got will be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers there on the banks of the Monongahela. That's week 15, kind of as the season's winding down. The Titans and the Steelers getting together for an AFC matchup there going on in NFL football. So that's a little bit of the AFC South connections here what about the nfc south and the schedule there well it all starts with tom brady as we said he's got the dallas cowboys coming in to tampa to get the week or the new year started and that's week one and that will be the thursday night game on nbc dallas at raymond james stadium the buccaneers will be on the west coast pretty early in the season they've got a game against the rams september 26 how about this matchup week four the Buccaneers go to Foxborough, and NBC will be televising this in a primetime matchup. It's the old coach and his old player, the Pats and the Bucks, on week four's NFL schedule. That's October 3rd is the date for that one. And then let's see here. The Bucks also will be playing at Indianapolis week 12, and that's going to be November 28th. And then as the season is winding down two teams right there in the thick of things at the end of the 2020 season. The Buffalo Bills will be coming into Raymond James Stadium for a really fun matchup week 14 of this upcoming NFL schedule. As far as the New Orleans Saints, they've got to replace Drew Brees, and they'll be looking to Jameis Winston and perhaps other QBs that might get a chance there for the black and gold of New Orleans. The New Orleans Saints begin their season Week one, as they'll be playing the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay comes to Mercedes-Benz Superdome that first week in a mid-afternoon matchup. And then it's right into the NFC South the next week as they'll be taking on the Carolina Panthers at Bank of America Stadium. A intriguing matchup week three. The Patriots will be hosting the Saints at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. That ought to be a fun game to tune in. And then you've got the... I guess the rematch here of the NFC South, the Buccaneers and Saints getting together at Mercedes-Benz on October 31st. The Saints will be at Nashville as they'll be taking on the Tennessee Titans November 14th, and that'll be a CBS broadcast when that matchup goes on. So that's a 
a little bit of what's going on there with the Saints. I will also note, since there's so many Cowboys fans across the Southeast, Cowboys will be in New Orleans to take on the Saints December the 2nd. That's a Thursday night game. Up next, the Carolina Panthers. Carolina will be taking on in week one. This ought to be one of the best games on the schedule that first week. The Panthers hosting the New York Jets. Why is that game interesting? Because a guy named Sam Darnold had been the Jets quarterback and heir apparent to be their leader for a long time before ending up being picked up by the Panthers in a trade in the offseason. So the Jets at Bank of America week one, that's a early game. Then the Panthers, as we said, week two, get right at it against the New Orleans Saints. But they do have two home games to start the season. And then against AFC teams here this year, as we might have told you, some of the NFC South teams are playing the AFC East teams the way the schedule sets up this year. And the Panthers have the New England Patriots, perhaps Cam Newton, coming back to the Queen City. That's November 7th when Carolina and New England get together. And then Week 12, they'll be down getting a suntan at Hard Rock Stadium. They'll be playing the Miami Dolphins that week. They also have the Buffalo Bills on the schedule playing at Highmark Stadium in Buffalo Week 15. And that's a look at what's going on with the Panthers of the NFC South. And then lastly from that division, the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons trying to battle back from a rough 2020 schedule. Week 1, the Falcons get it going in an all-birds matchup. The Philadelphia Eagles at Mercedes-Benz Stadium for an early kick on that week one of NFL football. The Falcons and Buccaneers going at it in week two, that from Raymond James Stadium. The Falcons and Jets get together November 10th at London. They're going to be playing across the pond against the New York Jets at Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is where you'll find that matchup. And that's going to be... A 9.30 a.m. Atlanta time, 8.30 Chattanooga. No, no, I won't say Chattanooga. Uh, I'm trying to think of a Falcons place that's in central time. We'll just say Anniston. Anniston, Alabama, an hour away from Atlanta, central time time zone there. Uh, It'll be 8.30 Anniston time whenever the Jets and Falcons get together. Tea and NFL football, breakfast or whatever they call it. Yes, all right. Here is what else is going on. For the Falcons, they've got the Dallas Cowboys on the schedule. That will be a game at Dallas on November 14th. So Falcons of the NFC South looking to, with their new coach, Coach Smith, make a drastic improvement here into the new year. I will mention the AFC East teams, the the teams from the South that kind of are in weird positions. That would be the Dolphins. They're a Southern team, but somehow – are in a northern division because of their history, I guess you could say. Week one, their rivalry with the Patriots is renewed as they'll be playing at Foxborough to kick off the 2021 schedule. And pretty early in the season, they'll be on the road again at Allegiant Stadium as they'll be taking on the Las Vegas Raiders out in Sin City. They'll have an in-state matchup. They'll be playing the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Miami Dolphins at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, same place. This matchup in London will be taking place November 17th. So you got your two matchups there of teams playing in in London here this year with the Jaguars and the Dolphins getting together November 17th. And I told you about the Falcons playing there as well. Then the Miami Dolphins have 
The Panthers coming, as we said, November the 28th is that matchup from Hard Rock Stadium. Then the other team that's kind of quirky how they have their arrangement with the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys. What's up with the boys from a 2021 scheduling standpoint? Dak Prescott, given the offseason big extension, big money, he's set, ready, and going. Besides that opening week game on Thursday against the Buccaneers, they have a game the following week also on the road. They'll be playing out in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium against the Chargers in the first true home game for the Chargers in front of fans, at least. And that'll be week two. The Cowboys at AT AT&T Stadium get their season going there on September the 27th when the Eagles, their NFC East rivals, come to Big D. Then the Cowboys and Patriots will be playing on November 17th. This is a game at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough that in mid-October week six is that matchup. An intriguing matchup in week nine as the Broncos will be in Dallas for a November 7th game. And then one other game of note for the Cowboys, the former Dallas Texans play the Dallas Cowboys, and this will be the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Cowboys at Arrowhead Stadium coming up November 21st. So that's a kind of good glancing over at some of the Southern teams and their schedule release here for the 2021 schedule. I'm excited. The NFL, of course, likes like they do everything else, made a big deal out of the release on Wednesday, and people are fired up and the betting numbers are already out and uh, people are ready to go with NFL football 2021. We'll take a break here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we'll have an SEC report, and we're going to hear from the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks, Dave Van Horn. His team is getting ready to hit the road to Rocky Top. We'll find out about the number one Arkansas Razorback baseball team, and we'll also give you an update on Southeastern Conference softball, their tournament going on right now in Tuscaloosa, and some football news from the SEC. The SEC report is headed your way next It is y'all, and Arkansas is the number one team in college baseball. We're going to hear from the head coach of the Arkansas Bat Hogs, Coach Dave Van Horn. He's coming up here in just a few minutes. This is our SEC report here on the show that covers the Piggies and all of the other member institutions of the Southeastern Conference. We've got some softball news we'll get to from the SEC. Plus, we'll also let you know about Alabama's running back core for 2021. Who's going to come out of there and be the star? They've got some holes to fill in T-Town. We'll tell you about that as our SEC spotlight continues here. And let's start out with a little basketball news. And let's take you to the Bluegrass. Five-star guard Ty Ty Washington announced his commitment to Kentucky on Wednesday. And this gives Coach John Calipari his 12th five-star point guard recruit since taking over 
in Cap Country back in 2009. Mr. Washington, Ty-Ty, that is, chose UK over a final group that included Arizona, Baylor, Kansas, LSU, and the Oregon Ducks. Arizona was actually considered to be Kentucky's biggest competition for Mr. Washington, who decommitted from Creighton back on March 11th and opened his recruitment back up. Ty-Ty Washington, he is from Arizona Compass Prep in Believe it or not, Arizona, six foot three guard, and comes to Kentucky from the West, assuming he does ink his commitment and put it on paper. But again, a five star guard announcing that he's going to be playing for the Kentucky Wildcats. Okay, more SEC news. This from the softball ranks. And the SEC softball tournament is going on. It's underway in Tuscaloosa, where Alabama is the local team. And Alabama has been a softball softball dynasty over the last 15 years. And we had some games played Wednesday. Mississippi State won the Egg Bowl. They defeated the Mississippi Sharks 3-1 to in the SEC softball tournament. LSU topped South Carolina. LSU's ranked fifth, or they were seeded fifth in this tournament. 7-3, the Tigers over the Gamecocks. Tennessee outlasted the Texas A&M Aggies in nine innings, 3-2. to two. And then I don't have a final on the Kentucky-Georgia game, so I'm not sure what happened in that one. So today, on this Thursday's matchup in the SEC tournament, Mississippi State takes on Florida. LSU is – oh, i got an update here. What's going on? UK won that game. All right, we've we've got our source here on UK softball winning over Georgia. So Kentucky advances, taking on Alabama, and that's on the softball diamond today. Again, Mississippi State, Florida, LSU, Missouri is a mid-afternoon game in Tuscaloosa. Tennessee, Arkansas on the SEC Network. You can tune in and see that one. And then the home team, Alabama, playing Kentucky. Kentucky advancing to take on the tie today. The championship for the SEC softball will be televised on ESPN2, and that is set for Saturday. If you want to tune in around 6 Eastern, 5 Central, it's the SEC softball tournament. Then the baseball fellows will be getting together not long from now in a place called Hoover, about 50 minutes away from Tuscaloosa. And so we've got postseason action on the diamond throughout the SEC. All right, let's look at what's going on in baseball from the Southeastern Conference. The SEC has two different divisions and leading the East Division right now. The Tennessee Falls. Tennessee is 17-7, and and that's just enough to get past their in-state foe Vanderbilt in the conference standings, the division standings. UT, an impressive turnaround there. On Rocky Top, Tim Corbin's doors are sitting at 16-7. and seven. Florida, which actually got a series win over Kentucky this past weekend, has jumped ahead of South Carolina. The Gators 15-9 and nine in SEC baseball. The Gamecocks, ooh, they better get their act together, just like their president there, Mr. Caslin, who's leaving. Uh, perhaps he uh, is leaving because of the Gamecock baseball team. No, I don't think that's the case. Gamecock baseball, 12-12 and 12 in SEC play. Kentucky has dropped to 11-13. and 13. That's also the same mark as Georgia in conference play in the SEC. Mizzou, 5-19. and 19. When we go to the West, the Arkansas Razorbacks. We're going to hear from Coach Van Horn in a second. 
Razorbacks 17 and 7. That's good enough to be the leaders of the SEC West. Heck, that's good enough to be the number one team in the country. And that's where the Hogs find themselves right now. Mississippi State, the Diamond Dogs, 16 and 8, and they're in the second spot of the SEC West. Coach Mike Bianco's Mississippi Land Sharks, 14 and 10, they're in the third spot of the SEC West. Alabama is 11 and 12. Man, what's going on in Baton Rouge? LSU 9 and 15 right now. A storied program really struggling in SEC play this year. A&M is 7 and 17. They did get a series win over Mississippi last weekend to their credit. And then Arkansas is uh, rather Auburn is 6 and 18 in SEC baseball right now. On the diamond this weekend in SEC play, it is South Carolina on the road in Lexington to take on the Wildcats. Missouri will be at Duty Noble, taking on number three Mississippi State. Texas A&M will have a series against the Plainsmen of Auburn. Alabama and LSU will be getting together at Alex Box Stadium. Some of those games will be on the SEC Network. Vanderbilt and Mississippi at Swayze Field. It's a top 20 matchup. There ought to be 40,000 people there for that series this weekend in Oxford between the Doors and the Sharks. And Georgia and Florida, it's the cocktail party on the diamond as the Dogs and the Gators getting together this weekend. And the game of the weekend across all of college baseball, the series, is Tennessee, a turnaround in Knox County as the Vols rank number four according to D1 Baseball. They have the number one Arkansas Razorbacks in town for a series this weekend. Oh, it's going to be good. In fact, Coach Dave Horn is the successful head coach of the Arkansas Razorback baseball program, and he had a chance this week to talk about the upcoming matchup against the Vols. Let's go now and hear Arkansas head baseball coach Dave Van Horn talking about this week's trip to Knoxville and to play the Tennessee Vols on Rocky Top. Well, they have an older team. Uh, very athletic. They like to steal bags. They'll put some pressure on you if, if they can, but they've started hitting the ball out of the park the last few weeks. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's been a big part of their offense is the home run, um, probably for the last maybe four or five weeks. Um, they, they've hit the ball out of the park a lot. But uh, their pitchers throw a lot of strikes. They don't put you on. They compete hard. Um, you know, they've been really good at home. They've been good everywhere, obviously. So, I mean, they're well-coached. Uh, they're hard-nosed. They're on a mission. Um, they look like it's a fun bunch to be around. Also, with what with Nolan's performance, did you can you see him figuring in relief or even as a possible Sunday starter if you use Wiggins? Yeah, I, I definitely could see him uh, coming out of the pen and us having confidence in him. I mean, what he what he threw tonight was that's as good as I've seen him throw in a long time. Velocity was good. Location was good. Even the pitches that were called balls, they were in the zone just down, and maybe not even down. They, if they were, they might have been a ball down. And uh, they were a hard slider. Uh, he, he looked good. I threw a slider at 87. I think he might have thrown another one at 88. And uh, they were in the zone. One was fouled off, one was swing and miss. So uh, excited for him. He's been working hard, and I uh, got to give him a lot of credit. You know, it was a rough outing he had at, at LSU, and uh, this is the first time he's gotten in a real game since, and boy, he took advantage of it. Hey, Coach, I'm sure you keep in touch with a lot of different coaches around the league and guys that you've worked with. I was wondering what your relationship with Coach Vitello is still like. Like, do y'all talk regularly? And I'm sure you'll talk a little bit this week maybe, but can you just talk about what that's like? 
Well, usually during the season, don't talk to the other coaches too much. You know, example, you know, with say Will Bolt at Nebraska, Rob Childress at Texas A&M and, you know, Sawyers and I could go on and on, but, you know, talk to him a little bit before, you know, once or twice during the season or, you know, maybe on a birthday, you send a text or, you know, something like that. But, uh, yeah, I've talked to Tony a few times and you know, I follow their program and they follow ours and, you know, I'm excited for them for what they've done. Obviously this weekend, you know, we want to win. I want to win, but I'm happy for those guys that they're having success. And that was Arkansas coach Dave Van Horn getting ready to take on the Tennessee Vols here this weekend with a top five showdown at Lindsey Nelson Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. And as we wrap up our SEC report, little football news, the Alabama Crimson Tide have to replace the running back core. And an article up at RollTideWire.USA.com says that Mike Rodak of AL.com checks the starting running back for Crimson Tide Football 2021 will be Brian Robinson. He's from Tuscaloosa, a four-star recruit coming out of the local area in 2017. And besides Mr. Robinson for Nick Saban's ball club in the backfield, there's sophomore Roy Dell Williams, a four-star Alabama native as well. He could get a lot of carries for Alabama. Of course, Alabama having to place, replace players like Najee Harris who were workhorses in the 2020 season and have moved on to the professional circuit. So that's a great read if you want to check it out. AL.com writer Mike Rodak has penned an article about replacing the running back regime at Alabama. When we come back on the Y'all Show, some quick social media fun. It's hashtag hullabaloo. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Whoopig! All right, we are going to close out this first hour of Y'all Show with a quick look at the Y'all inbox, mail at y'all.com. And we're getting something about Brew South in our inbox. At Brew South Coffee is where you can find them on Twitter, the best small batch coffee roasters from the beautiful Gulf Coast delivered direct to you. Your coffee is roasted and shipped within 48 to 72 hours of ordering. Brew South Coffee. And they have a message that they're sharing with us, mail at y'all.com. Fairhope Golden Hour Blend is a coffee you truly have to experience with a smooth hint of molasses, chocolate, and honey. Order now, and they got a link there at the website. So just Google Brew South Coffee Fairhope on the eastern shore of Lower Alabama, and you can get your coffee going with the Fairhope Golden Hour Blend. For all you coffee drinkers, consider Alabama coffee. Who knew? (laughs) Well, get your cup of joe and stay with us because we've got a whole other hour of y'all talk with a southern accent. Hour two, we've got Chris Hillman coming on. He, of course, a member of the Birds, a member of the Flying Burrito Brothers, and a member of Country Music's The Desert Rose Band. And it's going to be an honor to talk to Chris Hillman hour two. That's ahead on y'all talk with a southern accent with your southern connection general john rawl csa certified southern american
back in for more fun on this Thursday Y'all Show. 803-816-1170. I say you're again. 803-816-1170. That is the number to text us at your leisure. 803-816-1170 is how you can connect us if you've got something to say about the 16 southern states and the denizens within. Welcome your feedback here on y'all. Here this hour, a look at headlines, a look at entertainment news, and we have Chris Hillman. A member of the Birds, a member of the Flying Burrito Brothers, a member of the Desert Rose Band, a great American. He ain't a Southerner, but we'll let him slide. Uh, he's a Southerner at heart. And we've got Chris Hillman, music maker and now an author, coming on with a special interview here this hour of today's Y'all Show. Plus, we'll mix in a Southern accent. Kobe Bennett's going to file a business report before we get out of here this second hour, Art Cruz will be on in hour three with a closing argument on this show about the Southeast. Okay, headlines across the Southeast. We know that the gas prices are up. We are still seeing some places struggle to get gas. The gas stations of the Southeast have had challenges this week after the Colonial Pipeline got shut down. But the Colonial Pipeline says that they have had some success and they're looking to get most, if not all, of their stuff back online in just a matter of days. So welcome news to know about that. But yes, we know that, according to them, operations on Wednesday cranking back up after a disruption caused long lines at gas stations in the southeast and around the eastern seaboard and that caused distribution problems and panic buying from consumers all around the land. Colonial Pipeline saying that after being forced to be shut down for several days, they expect to be back up and going. All lines, they say, including those lateral lines that have been running manually, will return to normal operations, but it will take a couple of days for deliveries to return to normal, according to the company. I know that I saw while traveling late on Wednesday evening, I saw gas stations not running out of gas in my section of the South, but the price had gone up 30 cents in about three days. So, yeah, it's affecting everybody if you're looking to fill up for sure. What's also affecting you if you have to go through the Mid-South and you're traveling on Interstate 40, the Hernando de Soto Bridge in Memphis is shut down for quite some time now as inspectors there found cracks in the bridge and that's going to force that to be shut down thousands of cars and trucks each day around 40,000 is the estimate go across that bridge connecting Tennessee to Arkansas and this repair is going to be lasting for quite some time it's a six-lane bridge there at Memphis and inspectors found what they call a significant fracture in one of the two 900-foot horizontal steel beams that are crucial for the bridge's integrity. Well, I'm glad to know that somebody's looking out for integrity. It's a nearly two-mile-long bridge there right at downtown Memphis, right around Mud Island. And now traffic being rerouted to the I-55 bridge there mainly and other bridges across the Mid-South as people are pretty frustrated. This thing got shut down, I think, three years ago also and i was there when i saw it get shut down in 2016 for about six hours i saw it get shut down 
for a Black Lives Matter protest. They went out there and camped out on the bridge for several hours. And not one person got arrested, by the way, for that. Just FYI. Uh, uh, Okay. All right. New Orleans had a tornado come through Wednesday. Nobody got hurt. That's good news. It did knock down utility poles. About 10,000 people, I think, were out without power there for a while. The star of the movie of Deepwater Horizon, perhaps you saw that when it came out a few years back, the actual Jimmy Harrell, Mr. Jimmy, as portrayed in the movie by Kurt Russell, Jimmy Harrell has died in Morton, Mississippi at the age of 65. He was the man in charge of drilling on the Deepwater Horizon when the mobile rig exploded in the Gulf of Mexico off of the Louisiana coast, and he has died at the age of 65. Good news on the coronavirus, death toll lowest in 10 months. That's fantastic news. Some places are even reporting, in states at least, reporting zero deaths right now. We're still not out of the woods, but it's looking better. It is definitely looking better. Liz Cheney on Wednesday ousted in her role on the Republican side of the House and now replaced by a congresswoman from the state of New York. Why can't we get a good Southerner to be the number three person in the House? And there's some good Southern women congressmen. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, she'd have been a great replacement, don't you think? Uh, Maybe some people would have a problem with that. There's at least one novice or or freshman, if you will, that's a a congresswoman alongside Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is from South Carolina. Nancy Mace is a female Republican that could have been considered for this role, and I'm sure she would have loved to have had this job. I've I've had the pleasure of knowing her, (laughs) and I know she's all about – leadership if you will uh who else is out there Mm, ah, that's enough for now so yeah a change there in the republican strategy in the u.s house there and a lot of national pundits weighing in today about that the university of south carolina president has now exited stage right after his commencement address from this past weekend went awry the former superintendent at west point and a man who had served in the military as a general for 43 years became the University of South Carolina president back in 2019 and at his commencement address to his students that serve under him at the University of South Carolina this past weekend, he copied a speech or portion of a speech from a fellow admiral or four-star, three-star general admiral and he got in trouble for that. And then he called the University of South Carolina where he actually works. He called it, <laughs> poor guy, he called it the University of California. And now Bob Caslin, who offered his resignation and initially got turned away by the board of trustees at the University of South Carolina, now they've accepted it. And he's out as president in Columbia. All right, that's a follow-up on a story we told you about. On the Wednesday Y'all Show, Purvis Staples has passed away, member of the famous group, the Staples Singers, and she's died. Some sad news. I think they have a connection to Mississippi is where the Staples Singers are from because I've seen them perform in Jackson there as part of a all-Mississippi Grammy event. Purvis Staples dead at the age of 85 years old in the famous staples singers dying at her home in dalton illinois is purvis staples so one more music legend if you will passing away 
She sang gospel songs with her father, the guitar playing pop staples, sisters Mavis, Yvonne, and Cleotha, and they sang in Chicago churches and more. Their group gained fame in the 60s by singing music that urged change on a variety of social and religious issues. The staple singers gained a huge audience with their first number one hit, I'll Take You. Go ahead. You know it. I'll Take You There in 72. That ended up being a big hit, of course, followed by other hits like Respect Yourself, Heavy Makes You Happy, and If You're Ready, Come Go With Me. The Staple Singers. Now, Purvis was born in Drew, Mississippi in 1935. Do you know who else is from Drew, Mississippi? A guy named Archie Manning is from that town. I was just in Drew back in December. Drew's not what it used to be, just just to kind of give you an idea. Maybe when Purvis and Archie were running around, it probably had a little bit more going on than when I saw. But, of course, when I was there, I think it was on a Sunday morning, so – Not a lot probably goes on there in the north end of Sunflower County, Mississippi, on a Sunday morning. Uh, Speaking of Mississippi, Brett Favre in the news. The guy from Kiln, Mississippi, and the former Southern Miss Golden Eagle is in the news because, according to Mississippi, the state at least, he's not doing what he should do when it comes to his money, as Mississippi is a poor state. And Brett Favre, according to an article, has yet to pay back $600,000 in money that he received from the state of Mississippi for speaking engagements that he actually never showed up for. He promised to pay back the state a year ago, but an audit from May of 2020 revealed that $1.1 million had been paid to Favre's company, Favre Enterprises. The amount was just part of $94 million in welfare spending that was questioned by auditors. (laughs) So here's Brett Favre, pretty famous guy. He lives in Mississippi, and he can't show up for speaking engagements of which he's been paid well over 500000 and it looks like $600,000 to show up, and now uh, he says he's going to pay. I mean, Brett, show, I mean, what's that commercial he does? He does a couple of different ones, but he does one where he shows off his blue jeans, and he's got another one where he's got some kind of wrist uh, thing to help your bones out. Brett, come on now. I know you want to get in the car and go to places throughout the Magnolia State to let people actually hear and see you since you're getting money from the state. The poor state of Mississippi is paying you all this money for speaking engagements, and you're not showing up. Who do you think you are, George Jones? Yeah, $600,000. Mississippi says Brett Favre's, he he owes them, and so he needs to get his butt in the car and start showing up to places like let me give you some good ones. Gator, Mississippi, and maybe he needs to show up to Octibahaw County right there at Starkville. Yeah. Or maybe he needs to show up at uh, Takapola. Or maybe down on the coast he could show up at um, – and he lives, like I said, in, in the Hattiesburg area. He could show up at uh, Purlington, not far from his hometown of Kiln. Come on, Brett. You're not doing – you're not doing good there, sir. And let's take you from Brett Favre news and notes to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A says they're going to have to limit sauces to customers due to an industry-wide shortage. Greg Wood with the tip here on this one. Thank you, Greg. Courtesy of Dave Thomas here as well. Yeah, if you want a Chick-fil-A meal, you might be out of luck as the restaurant is putting limits on the number of free sauces customers can get with their orders, all because of supply chain issues. 
In an email sent out this week and obtained by news outlets, Chick-fil-A is going to limit customers to one sauce per entree, two sauces per meal, and three sauces per 30-count nuggets. Now, I had to do my research on this, and I went to a Chick-fil-A Wednesday, and they gave me three ketchups for my large order of fries. That's about right. I don't think I got ripped off there. And they asked me if I wanted any other sauces. I had a Chick-fil-A sandwich. There's few things better than a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. And I turned it down. So Chick-fil-A is not going to run out of sauces because of me. So just do yourself a favor. Right now, we got to ration. We got to ration our Chick-fil-A sauces, and we got to ration our gasoline because we've got a shortage in a lot of the South with gasoline right now. So just be a good Southerner and look out for others, if you will. And that will wrap up a look at some of the news headlines. We have even more news that we'll get to in Hour 3. Art Cruz will be dropping by. It'll be fun to catch up with him on today's Y'all Show. It's our closing argument. But we got a lot to get to before Art rolls in today. We've got entertainment news to tell you about. Big news for Ellen DeGeneres. We'll share that. It's part of our coverage of entertainment and more. And don't forget, in this hour of the Y'all Show, Chris Hillman, a singer with the birds and the Desert Rose Band. He's going to be on with us, and we're going to learn a lot about his career and more. Chris Hillman, he's written a new book. It's coming up here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Casey Musgrave's music here on a Thursday y'all show. We're going to have an entertainment spotlight here, if you don't mind. And another great singer besides Casey Musgraves is out there. His name is Chris Hillman, and he's going to be on with us in the next segment. Chris Hillman, a founding member of The Birds and a member of the Flying Burrito Brothers, member of the country music supergroup Desert Rose Band. He's going to be our special guest, so stay around, if you will, for Chris Hillman in the next segment but right now let's take a quick look at some entertainment news and news coming out wednesday about louisiana native ellen DeGeneres. she tells the hollywood reporter that she plans to end her talk show in 2022 she says when you're a creative person you constantly need to be challenged and as great as this show is and as fun as it is it's just not a challenge anymore Okay, that leaves a spot open for the Y'all Show to go all over the nation with a daytime talk show. We'll take it, Ellen. Thank you for the setup here. But yes, the Ellen Did Generous Show, which has won 64 Daytime Emmy Awards, currently in its 18th season, will wrap after season 19. It is produced by Warner Brothers Television, and it will be 
off and done, just like MASH and all the other great TV shows. I wouldn't call Ellen DeGeneres quite a MASH-type show, but a lot of people watch it. And she's going to say goodbye and move on to probably more commercial work and other things. She's not going to be sitting around bored whenever 2022 arrives. We have the list of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees for 2021. And this is a big class. It is a big class coming out of the Cleveland, Ohio-based Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The most diverse group by musical genre in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's history. The performer category includes inductees of Foo Fighters and the Go-Go's, as well as Jay-Z, Carol King, Todd Rundgren, and Nutbush, Tennessee's own Tina Turner into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Ahmet Erdogan Award goes to Clarence Avant, the Musical Excellence Award, LL Cool J, Billy Preston, Randy Rhodes, Early Influence Award, Kraftwerk, Gil Scott Heron, and Charlie Patton. The 36th annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony is going to take place in October at Rocket Mortgage Field House in Cleveland, Ohio. And that induction ceremony ceremony is going to be aired on HBO and available to stream at HBO Max at a later date. But congratulations to the list of inductees into the 2021 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class. Georgetown, South Carolina's own Chris Rock in the news. He's recalling the final time that he saw his fellow Saturday Night Live actor Chris Farley. They were great friends during the seven years they were together in the 1990s on Saturday Night Live. And in an interview with Esquire, Chris Rock says that before Farley died of an overdose in 1997, he knew his friend didn't have long to live. He told the story behind an old photo of himself, Sandler, Chris Farley, David Spade at Chris Rock's Bring the Pain comedy tour. He says they were in L.A., and Rock said it was one of the last times he saw Farley alive, saying, this looks like one of the last times I saw him. I would see him one more time when I did a gig in Chicago. We tried to hang out afterwards, but I don't know if you've ever really hung out with an addict towards the end. Anything that isn't the drug is the chore, is a chore. And he said their last night together was at Chris Farley's apartment. So what great comedy between all those guys, Farley, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, David Spade, just uh, all of them. I mean, everybody on that 1990s and late 80s cast of Saturday Night Live, light years ahead of what SNL's been putting out here over the last couple of years for sure. Apple TV has announced that Oprah Winfrey, Mississippi kid she is, and Prince Harry are going to have a series debut. Did you know about this? Well, that's why evidently the the uh, Duke of Sussex, if you will, came to America to get on Apple TV Plus as the me you can't see will feature stories meant to help lift the veil on the current state of mental health and emotional well-being. And it will premiere May 21st on Apple TV. And it is a multi-part documentary series from co-creators and executive producers, plural, by the way, Oprah Winfrey and Prince Harry. Okay. Okay. I guess you can come over here and be a big time producer along Oprah when you're a prince. All right. Portia Williams is engaged to the estranged husband of Real Housewives of Atlanta's guest star. Are y'all familiar with Portia Williams? P O R S H. She and a fellow named Simon 
Guabadia are engaged. And he is a man that viewers of the Real Housewives of Atlanta met this season as the husband of one of her friends. He's stealing away one of her friend's husbands. Portia, what's going on with you? Yeah, this guy is a businessman, Simon. And he put out on Instagram, our relationship began a month ago. Yes, we are crazy in love. I know it's fast, but we are living life each day to its fullest. Looks like they were on a beach together. Yes, uh, Gabodia and his wife, Phelan, were introduced on the Real Housewives of Atlanta this season with her being listed as William's friend in their first scenes. Yeah, you can find out more on this gossip. See, we try to give you a little gossip here in our entertainment news of the week. How about this blast from the past and one of the South's own that maybe you've kind of forgotten about, the Houston-born Felicia Ayers. Are you all familiar with Felicia Ayers? Well, she ended up marrying a guy, and they were both kind of famous at the time when they got married, and his name was Ahmad Rashad. We're talking about Felicia Rashad the actress, singer, and more. And now she's going to go back to her alma mater of Howard University in Washington, D.C., and she's going to take on the role as the Dean of Fine Arts at Howard University. Felicia Rashad, you might remember her from TV shows like The Cosby Show, and she's also been in a bunch of plays and just been working hard. Felicia Rashad, now 72 years young, and she's back in D.C. at her Alma mater, Howard University, the HBCU, and also she was in This Is Us, and she'll report starting July 1st to Provost Anthony Wuto at Howard as she's the dean of the new College of Fine Arts at Howard University. She got a degree from Howard in 1970, graduated magna cum laude with a degree in fine arts, and she starred as Claire Huxtable in The Cosby Show, and now back in D.C., I guess you could call her a doctor, but I don't think she has, a, according to what I'm seeing, any kind of advanced degree in education. She's, she's uh, Miss Huxtable, if you will, and uh, that's good enough, I guess. You don't have to have a master's or Ph.D., evidently, to teach at Howard, which, by the way, do you know Howard University's connection to our country right now? Arguably their most famous alumnus or should I say alumnae, is our vice president. Yes, she becomes the first HBCU alum to ever have a job as president or vice president of the United States. We're talking about Kamala Harris is a Howard alum. All right, more news. How about this story? As Carrie Underwood and Luke Bryan are both going to be in Las Vegas for quite some time as headliners at the Theater at Resorts World Las Vegas And one story I see says that they're going to take up residency in Nevada. I don't know about that, but they're going to be playing there a lot. Underwood's Reflection is a show at the Las Vegas residency. It starts December 1st, and it will be on for several weeks there at least. And then you also have Luke Bryan will have many engagements in February of 2022. So if you want to get life back to normal, go go out to Vegas and check out a show And you ought to be right there, kind of like what Elvis was like when he was out in Vegas a lot. Here's a guy back in the spotlight this week. His brand new album is out. It's called Where Have You Gone? It arrives on Friday, tomorrow. Congratulations to Alan Jackson as the country music superstar releasing his first new music in six years. It's got 21 songs on it. It is Alan Jackson's 16th studio album. 
and his 25th in a story career that includes two Christmas albums, gospel albums, a couple of greatest hits, and more. The Georgia native Alan Jackson teaming up with his old producer Keith Stegall and this big collection of 21 songs, and I'm excited about Alan Jackson. In fact, I'm so excited as we go to break, we'll play a little Alan Jackson music for you to get you in the mood for what is happening with this new album from the country music star from the long, tall country music star, I should say, from Georgia, Alan Jackson. And it's out right now, this new album of Alan Jackson material. Ooh, can't wait for that. So that is a quick look at what's going on across the Southland here from an entertainment standpoint. Stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to switch over to have a guy who's truly part of the rock pop kind of bluegrass scene of California who went on to have success as a country music singer in the 1980s and 90s as a member of the Desert Rose Band. Chris Hillman is our special guest, and he's up next here on the Y'all Show, and he'll be on after this break. You're going to enjoy it just like you're going to enjoy this Alan Jackson song, Little Man, to take us a break. I remember walking around the court square sidewalks looking in windows things I couldn't want. There's Johnson's Hardware and Morgan's Jewelry And the old Kings of Pot that carry They were the little man The little man Big names are headlining this weekend's UFC 262 card. From Tony Ferguson to Michael Chandler, there'll be no shortage of action. And DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a heavyweight offer for this weekend's fight with 101 odds. One fighter will be walking away with the belt. Will you be walking away with the cash? Just pick the main event fighter you think will win, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 101 odds on that fighter. That's right, bet $1 on select fighters, and if they win, you win $100. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry, if MMA isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code WTJK when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on a main card fighter to win. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code WTJK to turn $1 into $100 on select main card fighters for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Tennessee only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. Time 
It's the Y'all Show, talk with a southern accent with John Rawl. And here on this show, we don't always go to California to bring on guests about the Southeast, but this guy has had such a variety of music that he's been a part of, bluegrass, rock, country. He's When he's able to, when the coronavirus isn't going on, he's still making great music. Chris Hillman, who was a founding member of The Birds, is on with us right now on the Y'all Show. And, of course, you might remember him in the 1980s as a member of the Desert Rose Band. And we're going to bring him on to talk about his incredible career and the new book that he has just penned. Chris, welcome into the Y'all Show. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me on today. And I think I'm right, based on my research, you have done a lot of music, but this is your first book. Yeah, that is my first book. I don't know what took you so long. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, I spent about seven years on the darn thing, and I it's finally it was a big fat manuscript sitting on the shelf, and I said to my wife, I said, maybe we should find an agent, see if anybody's interested in this thing, and Otherwise, I'll just give it to the kids to read, or the grandkids. And, uh, and uh, lo and behold, we, we meet Scott Bomar from BMG, and he says, can I read some of it? And I sent him some chapters, and the next day he calls me and says, let's talk. He wanted to publish it, which was great, and he said, we don't need a co-writer. I said, that's even better. So off we went. Then what? I rewrote the whole thing, shortened it a bit, and this and that. But yeah, that was a, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. I was talking to Mark Volman yesterday. He was a member of the Turtles, primary member. And Mark, of course, lived down, was teaching at Vanderbilt for a while, and, uh, I think. And, and uh, what was I talking about? Um, just that growing up in that particular time period and all that. So, well, Time Between is the book, and it is really a, a time between, through, above, beyond, and more because Chris Hillman really represents – American music in the post-World War II era. You grew up in the 50s and 60s, and you were right there at the forefront. In fact, I don't have the quote in front of me. Tom Petty in the Ford had an incredible quote, calling you really the father of country rock music. How about that? That was pretty nice of him, old Tom. He was a wonderful man. Good good Florida boy there. Uh, which is which is one of the reasons we're talking today. You have never, to my knowledge, and I didn't read about it in the book, never lived in the South. You've been here a lot, but you've never lived here. But gosh, you would never know it based on your music and your just great history. Uh, I never did have the opportunity. Uh, uh, not that it, it didn't cross my mind through the years. I, uh, I certainly love. There's lots of parts of town. South, Southeast, I just love. Uh, but no, I never got a chance to live down there. But yeah, musically, well, you got to remember, John, that most of the people that, uh, most of the, of the country music in California came out with the folks that moved for, you know, during the Dust Bowl and the Depression. Of course, we're talking about Haggard, Merle Haggard and Buck Owens, especially. Uh, um, Gosh darn it! Um, Rose Maddox, the Maddox brothers came out. They all, came, all these families came out in the early '30s and brought their music with them. That's why there's such a vibrant country music scene, uh, really originating in Bakersfield, that was all over the lower southern part of the state. We had so much country music, and uh, a lot of TV shows that I watched, which I wrote about in the book, and. You know, I mean, my gosh, getting to work uh, in a band with Vern Gosden and his brother Rex and Don Parmley and the Golden State Boys, 
that was my, uh, they taught me everything. So I didn't know, not only did I learn more about bluegrass, I learned about the culture through them because they had grown up in Alabama and Kentucky. Yeah. So I, I learned all about the culture, how they thought, how they ate, whatever. It was great. That was an ultimate uh, education for me. Talking with Chris Hillman here on the Y'all Show. Again, an incredible career. And he just dropped the voice's name here on the show, Vern Gosson. And he, he, you worked with Vern and his brother Rex in California as they had moved out there. And yeah, and there's just so many people that Chris Hillman, your hands have touched or you've been around going back to the 1950s as music came into your life. In fact, it was a native Arkansan who was your school janitor that really helped you start playing a lot. He was the best. Bill Smith was my first mentor, John. And, uh, Bill was the head custodian. He uh, played in a band on the weekends. Eventually, he, got, he, he decided he wanted to be a steel player. He learned how to play steel. But, man, he was just terrific. He was there for me, and uh, he, he'd have me over every Saturday. And it was so funny. I was thinking told a lot of people, I said, boy, in this environment, you wouldn't go to the teacher's house or the, or the school custodian's house, you know, the way things are in this world today. But Bill took me under his wing, and he taught me all about music. I remember seeing at his house one of Buck Owens' very first Capitol releases, and it was Above and Beyond, I believe. It was a, it was a cover of a drawing of Buck Owens sitting, on a, sitting down on a hillside. And, and I remember Bill says, this guy's going to be a huge star. <laughs> and, and I kept listening to Buck right through my bluegrass days. In fact, one of the guys in the Golden State Boys, uh, I think Don Parmley, says, you don't need to listen to that. Just listen to bluegrass. <laughs> I said, well, Buck's pretty close to it all, you know. So anyway. You, you As a teen, you did start kind of learning and playing bluegrass. That's after you were there as we have a picture courtesy of your website of you on a horse, I guess the, the next John Wayne there in Southern California. How did you even get exposed to bluegrass music? Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, I, I, at my age, uh, of course, I was right there in 1955 when rock and roll just blossomed. And I loved it. I mean, of course, and Elvis and, and uh, Fast Tombo and everybody, Little Richard, and uh, started buying the records. I didn't want to be learn the guitar then. I don't know why, what, what that was about. But it wasn't until... Uh, 1959, uh, and then I write about it in a book where my older sister comes back from the uh, University of Colorado and she has all these folk albums. Now, I had listened to the Kingston Trio. They had a hit with Tom Dooley, big hit on the radio. So as rock and roll started just to die down and we got more Fabian and Frankie Avalon and Paul uh, Anka stuff, like, which was okay, but it got a little quiet and then uh, folk music started coming along off the college campuses and my sister brought home some great records of the Pete Seeger and the Weavers and the Woody Guthrie so I went to that and then uh, I heard the New Lost City Ramblers okay string music old time string music and I, that's where I saw Mike Seeger playing the mandolin and I went hmm and then I heard Flat Scrubs and buddy that was it that just set a nerve off in me and I had to hear it. I had to learn to play it. I loved it. And there was maybe two other guys in my high school of all of 700 people in my high school uh, that liked bluegrass. So here we are in the middle of Southern San Diego County, uh, not necessarily a hotbed of, of country music. However, in my book, as you might have saw, I, I read um, 
I did play it when I was 18. I was in the Scottsville Squirrel Barkers, one of my favorite bluegrass bands ever to be in. And I, we played for Smokey Rogers, who was a big country star down in San Diego. So that's where I had Tex Ritter. Yeah. <laughs> Tex Ritter put his hand on my shoulder. That was like the sign of approval, man. <laughs> I watched his movies when I was a little guy growing up, and he was such a nice man, you know. And I remember telling his wife after he had passed and what he did. She said, oh, Tex always wanted to encourage young musicians. I said, well, he sure was nice to me. And with the Squirrel Barkers, you had a television appearance there, and a young Regis Philbin had you on his show. Yeah, yeah. Regis Philbin started out in San Diego. I remember I wrote about, was it Frankie uh, Avalon? He was watching us rehearse before they filmed the show, and he was fascinated because here he's a kid from what, Philadelphia. <laughs> I didn't hear a lot of bluegrass or something. It was all fun, John. I had a great time. Well, again, Chris Hillman. Somehow or another has just about been involved, I'm going to say it, you don't have to say it, with just about every big music deal going on in the last 60, 70 years. And in the 60s, you went from bluegrass to being a founding member of the Birds, one of the most, I guess, famous bands of the mid-1960s in music. And I always thought when I saw your artwork and more, in fact, I'll show a cover of one of your 1960s albums uh, never before, I thought these guys are trying to be the Beatles. And after reading your book, after reading your book, I think that's exactly what you were trying to do, and you don't hide it in your book. No, initially we emulated the Beatles, loved them. We must have seen the Hard Day's Night twenty times at the, at the theater. And uh, but then we got, you know, we developed our own sound. You know, I mean, we weren't. Uh, the thing about the Birds that was unique is we weren't rock and roll guys. Everybody came out of folk music. Roger McGuinn, David Crosby, all of them, everybody was, uh, played folk music, I, me and bluegrass, of course, but we did develop a sound, we did initially uh, listen and love the Beatles, and they were very kind to us when we went to London in 1965, uh, English tour of, of uh, the summer of 65, and we met the Beatles, they were very, very kind, and um, in fact, George Harrison did, uh, If I Needed Someone, as a tribute to the birds. It's a, it's a song he wrote and sang that sounds a bit like the birds, and he did that as a, he said this as a tribute to the birds. And they, lo- they loved us hmm. for a year with their favorite band. Anyway. If you, if you could pick one of the Beatles to kind of play your role, who is the Beatle that is most like Chris Hillman? <laughs> well, <laughs> sarcastically, uh, in my younger days, it would have been John Lennon, because, I mean, he was something. He was a, as we would term, a wise guy, uh, a dip- diplomatic term, a wise guy. Um, but I don't know, gosh, you know, I mean, McCartney was my uh, bass idol. I, I listened to him. That's how I learned how to play the bass. I listened to, to Paul McCartney as he played with a pick and he played counter melody to the to what was going on. I thought that was pretty good. Listened to him a lot. But I don't know if I could ever be one of the Beatles. And what? One of your members there, uh, among many, David Crosby, and uh, you had Roger McGuinn and others, part of the Birds. But just like most bands, ultimately things happen, people go their separate ways, and and here you are as the 60s are raging, and you find yourself in another iconic 60s band, the Flying Burrito Brothers. Tell me about that time of the 60s as a part of that band. Well, I tell you, John, I always thought the 60s were really great and it started out 
very idealistic, of course, and let's all get along, and da 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 But 1968, 69, uh, that sort of went away. That dream just sort of evaporated. We had the Charles Manson murders in 1969. We had uh, Altamont, which I played, the Rolling Stones free concert where the guy gets murdered. I said, the 60s are over. I actually said it back then. This is the day the 60s died, was that Altamont concert. And then uh, it got to where uh, Roger McGuinn and I were the last guys in the Birds. Everybody had sort of left, and we finished this album, uh, The Notorious Bird Brothers. Turned out to be a good record. Uh, and then I went off with Graham Parsons and started the Flybreeder Brothers, you know. So Graham had a good feel for country music. He loved it. I had a, I had a, a, a compadre. Uh, you know, a guy that understood the music, and off we went to do the Britos, which really was a country band. It was, uh, you know, we did some really great songs, I think. Yes. That first album, and I know because a lot of people covered our songs. You know, Emmy Lou did a lot of our songs. Uh, Emmy Lou Harris, Dwight Yoakam, and Katie Lang, and Beck, and all these different people cut uh, our early Brito Brothers stuff, which is the ultimate compliment. Yeah. Well, one of the things you write in your book, you had these great bands of the sixties and then the seventies came and it wasn't quite so hit making for you. Early eighties come and it wasn't until you remember the Desert Rose band, I don't think you until you had your very first number one. That's correct. Uh, and I I didn't even want to start another band. I mean, in the early 80s, after Roger McGuinn and I had quit working together again, Roger and Gene Clark and I, uh, uh, I played a, a solo, and I played acoustically uh, as a duet with Al Perkins, who had worked with me in Burritos and Manassas. Uh, but, you know, John Jorgensen, who's a, a fantastic musician, as we all know, uh, really was pushing to do a band, and I said, I don't know if I want to do this, and da 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 uh, but he was in, pretty uh, insistent, and uh, we put this band together. And I wasn't looking for a record deal, John, and along comes a record deal. So it's like when you're least looking for something, uh, it sort of pops up in your life. And when you're looking for something, sometimes it's not there. But anyway, the Desert Rose Band, after all those groups, was the the ultimate. It was where I had gone through as a, sort of an apprentice band member or second lieutenant or whatever way you want to call it and then uh, Desert Rose Band I called the shots ran the band wrote the songs and all that all the above and it was a good group it was let me tell you as a guy growing up in the 80s listening to country music radio I want to thank you for the sound soundtrack of my youth because uh the, the, she don't love nobody if you don't hear that song and get in a uh, upbeat mode then I don't know what's wrong with you and, of course, you shared one of the songs, Hello Trouble. Your buddy, Herb Peterson, took the lead on that one. Um, you know, Dwight, uh, excuse me, uh, Brad Paisley uh, told, said to me, or John, he said, uh, Desert Rose Band changed my life in high school. He said, I heard the Desert Rose Band, it completely changed my life. And that he was a huge fan of John's guitar playing. So we had a fan with Brad from the early days on, and he was always very complimentary about the Desert Rose Band. Uh, but as far as uh, our live performances, man, it was up there, the 90%, 90th percentile as far as we had <laughs> such a professional player, you know. Yeah. I didn't have any 
anything to worry about. The other bands, somebody would always be a little having difficulties with this or that. But Desert Rose was every, good singing, good playing, and everybody cared. Everybody cared enough to do a great show for people. If, if there were 20 people out there, if there were 20,000, we did the same show. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. So that was the longest band I was in. I was in that band eight years. Yeah, and that was, again, a country music act of the late 80s, early 90s on Curb, MCA, or MCA Curb, and had so many good songs. And just just a pleasure. Thank you again. I'm John Rawl. This is The Y'all Show. We're talking with Chris Hillman, a founding member of The Birds, also the Flying Burrito Brothers a member of the Desert Rose Band, the the general of the of the Desert Rose Band, as he's just told us here on the Y'all Show, and he's just been involved with making great music for a long time. We don't want to age him, but all, you know, to your credit, Chris, and your new book, Time Between, you put it right there for everybody to read. Your birth date, born in December of nineteen forty four. Yeah. 37 and a half years old. Uh, happy <laughs> at my age. I really am. I don't know. In these days, uh, John, I don't know if I'd want to be a, a young 24-year-old guy in this particular environment, climate now. But, hey, I, I, I always looked at it. I was very blessed. You know, God blessed me and uh, all the groups I was in. I survived a lot of it all. And, and I lost some good friends, you know, a lot of people that just got swept into the these dark areas, and uh, there's nothing I could really do. I couldn't, uh, you know, I, I tried to help Graham, as did Amy Lindwood, we both did, but uh, uh, poor guy, he, did, he was a talented man, but he just had some demons he had to deal with. So. Yeah, again, drugs were, a, no matter where you were in the 60s, it was a big part of the scene, and you survived that, and uh, you've had a, a pretty good co-captain for over 40 years, to help you through children, and I think you've got a couple of grandchildren there in California. Yes, sir. Yes, I do. I love them dearly. And what do they call you? What is your nickname? Papa. Papa? Papa. I, I, I should have known that. A little guy, a little grandson's too. Papa, Papa. And he wants to do the Legos. We, we sit and we build some cars together. I'm having a great time. Yeah. It's sweet as can be. Well, that's, that's awesome there. Papa Hillman here on today's Y'all Show. We're wrapping up our conversation. And so we've been talking about Chris Hillman, the musician, the songwriter, and more. And now he can add, if he didn't have enough accolades and enough guitars there in the background, he can add author as he has penned time between. You said this is something you've been debating a long time. What was the discipline like to, to, to write a book compared to writing music? You know, it's completely different. I think it's easier to sit down and write a book. Now, mind you, you're sitting there writing, and you'll uh, write some silly things, you know, of course, and you have to go through it and, and sort of edit it. And then my daughter is an English lit teacher, and she had, was the first one to edit the manuscript, and she was merciless, John. She said, Dad, another cliché. What did you write? It feels like heaven on earth. She said, uh-uh. She took a red pencil. She had a hard copy. She goes, nope. And she's writing stuff in my manuscript. I said, but, I said, honey, she's dead. Let's not put all those uh, cliches in there. You've got 200 exclamation points. So she, <laughs> she was so funny. She was a stickler on grammar. And then as I got my publishing deal and I rewrote the book, of course, I had some great help from my wife, editing ideas, um, Scott Bomar, the head of the uh, BMG Publishing, his idea to open the book with our house fire, I thought was brilliant. Where we go, we open it with fire and then we backtrack it to uh, things, you know. 
Yeah. Well, it's not a not a light read. If you've just got an hour to read a book, this is not the one because you put a lot in there, and that's good. A lot more too, but uh, we got to trim down a bit. Uh, I'd love to try something else down the road, uh, John. I'm not sure. What, I know there's probably a great story about old John Robertson. I already wrote a song about him, but he had an amazing life as an actor and a director and a screenwriter in the 20s, you know. And uh, That would be an interesting uh, thing to research and look at, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, again, Chris Hillman, although a native Californian, he does have southern roots, his uh, mother's side of the family from East Texas, I think. And so that's part of the Southern way of life is storytelling and more. And so you've been doing it through the music, and now you got books to add to your credit. <laughs> and like I said, John, God has blessed me. And, and I always saw these wonderful doors open for me. And I also had some wonderful people that I referred to, my mentors, my catalyst. Mentors a better word. That would, like Bill Smith, the janitor, he, when he, had, he was dying of Parkinson's, Oh, about four years ago, and I went and saw him, and I sang to him, and I said, you know, Bill, if it had been for you, I, I would have probably ended up either, maybe not not alive. I might have had to go to Vietnam or something. And he said, all I did, Chris, he said, I just pointed the way for you. He said, I knew you had the goods. That was the nicest thing. He said, I knew you had the goods. I just said, I just said do this, do this. <laughs> well, Vietnam did get in the way of one of your early bands. How did you get out of going to Vietnam? Because you were the perfect age. Oh, buddy, I got drafted twice. Did you? Uh, in 65, they were taking anybody. If you if you had a semblance of health, <laughs> they'd make you a clerk or something, a typist. I got uh, drafted in 1964, but I was supporting my mother. Oh. Uh, my brother was, in the, was an Air Force officer. My older sister was already out of the house. So my little sister and I and my mother, and I was helping support her after my dad died. And um, I got drafted again right when the birds started to take off. And I got somehow got out of it uh, on the same premise of, of, of supporting my mom and that we already had uh, one of the family members uh, in the service, my brother. So, I see. You know, I mean, yeah, they were taking everybody seriously. It was, it was a, no, no, I mean, it's a, a terrible, stupid thing to say war is stupid, but that war. My gosh, these poor guys. I feel bad. So anyway. It was, and I've talked to plenty of veterans who said, if you didn't have to serve, more power to you. That's uh, yeah. perfectly understandable. Chris Hillman, you survived the 60s, and you've been here all these years, and now we can add author to your repertoire. Thank you so much for coming on again of the Birds and on the Flying Burrito Brothers as well as the Desert Rose Band. ChrisHillman.com is the website, and if you go there, You have an option to know about Chris Hillman's tour dates. I don't see anything there now, but stay tuned, right? They'll be there, John. I hope hope to God we we get out there in September and and finish up these shows that we had booked. So, yeah. All right. Well, we're looking forward to seeing Chris Hillman in concert and reading his book. Thank you again for coming on the Y'all Show, Chris Hillman. Thank you, John, for having me. All right. And we'll have more of the Y'all Show coming up after this. Stay tuned. It's the Y'all Show Talk with a southern accent. Southern accent. Here's the Business South update from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. The city of Knoxville, Tennessee has become one of the top cities in the country for solar power investment, being number one in the southeast. 
This surge of success is all thanks to the Knoxville Utilities Board and the Tennessee Valley Authority. The TVA Vice President Chris Hansen told Markets Insider that KUB is delivering on its promise to make Knoxville a renewable energy leader, and TVA is helping KUB make the community one of the top cities in America to go green. Two weeks ago, KUB announced that they had selected Origis Energy to develop a 200-megawatt solar farm in Clay County, Mississippi, in order to continue supporting Knoxville's efforts for more renewable energy. This plan serves as a part of KUB's overall objective, which they announced last November, to generate 20% of Knoxville's electrical power from renewable sources. Their investment in more than 500 megawatts of solar will aid the city in reaching its objective of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 80% by 2050. KUB plans on obtaining enough solar energy to power 83,000 homes. Knoxville is serious about climate change, said Knoxville Mayor Inya Kidcannon. And this investment by TVA and KUB positions us as a national leader. This partnership not only helps reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it gives our city a competitive advantage. The Knoxville mayor added, The solar power generated by this solar farm can fuel economic growth in Knoxville and create jobs and opportunities for rural communities within the Tennessee Valley. Business news, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe Bennett, we appreciate that information as we have come to the end of Hour 2. Thank you again to Chris Hillman for being our very special guest we've got another hour it's our closing argument and it's coming up next on y'all talk with a southern accent hang on you all Here we are. It's the final hour of this Thursday. Y'all talk with an accent on everything Southern. That's right. We accentuate the South. We are not scared. We ain't scared of anything. We're all about the South. We promote the South. We want you to promote the South. We love the South. And if you do, if you're a Southern hater, well, you just need to tune in for a little bit. We think we can kind of win you over here to talk with a Southern accent. Oh, love it. John Rawl, good to have you back here on this final hour of our Thursday edition of Talking About the South. We've got Art Cruz standing by with this closing argument here for this third hour. And I'm going to pop a big question. Maybe that's why he's not here right now. He knows I've got a big question coming his way that he's scared. Speaking of being scared, (laughs) he's scared to pop in here and let me ask the big question it's kind of a mind-blowing question that i'm gonna have to fire away at him and i want you to weigh into our number if you want to weigh in on anything is 803-816-1170 you can call or text that number anytime we welcome you to listen to us on our great radio stations of the south we welcome and thank all of our great listeners who catch us each day in podcast form, we're in Apple Podcasts, we're in the iHeartRadio podcast, we're in the TuneIn Radio app, and we're also at y'all.com, the homepage of the South. We do so much to make it so easy for you to keep abreast of what's going on. I said breast, that's right. You, we want you to stay at top of what's going on across the Southland, and y'all.com is the homepage of the South that does that, and then this here show the Y'all Show is doing its part to make you connected and feel a part of 
Dixie. Here in this third hour of today's Y'all Show, we've got some headlines across the South that I'm going to kind of walk through here in just a second. We also are going to discuss some festivals coming up across the Southeast. So we'll do all that here in addition to having Art Cruz and his closing argument. Okay, looking at news headlines across the Southeast, Colonial Pipeline, that's getting fixed. You might see like it never happened. That probably won't happen until the weekend, maybe early next week. But right now, still going to see gas prices up and some shortages out there across the southeast. If you're traveling through the Memphis area, the bridge over the Mississippi River, the Hernando de Soto Bridge, is going to be out for quite some time. And that's got people in both Arkansas and Tennessee scratching their heads. The Department of Transportation officials just want to have the question answered. How long is this going to be? As over the last couple of days, the inspectors there found a very scary thing, a crack in the span of, of that almost two-mile-long bridge, the Hernando de Soto Bridge. And, yeah, a crack, a warning sign of an urgent need to fix this bridge. And we know infrastructure has kind of been a buzzword here recently coming out of Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., so we'll see what happens there. Big news speaking of Capitol Hill on Wednesday, Liz Cheney is ousted in her number three role in the Republican side of the House of Representatives, and Stefanik is the replacement. She's the congresswoman from upstate New York. She takes over for Liz Cheney. President of the University of South Carolina is out. We told you about Wednesday on the show. He really screwed up his commencement address, and now he's out as the University of South Carolina, USC there in Columbia, now looking for a replacement for the top job there in Columbia. Mississippi wants $600,000 back from Brett Favre as they've paid the former NFL quarterback that amount of money, if not more, to be the speaker at engagements in the state. The state taxpayer's money paid this guy $600,000, and then he was a no-show. And now... Records revealing that he still has not paid back, even though he said he would. Come on, Brett Favre, go do some more commercials. Pay the people of Mississippi for not showing up. Chick-fil-A wants you to show up, but they are telling you that if you do show up, you might have a sauce shortage there around the southeast as they're having a problem with the supply chain. So if you're looking for that special barbecue sauce to dip your 30-count nugget in, you might only get three when you used to get five and six. You might only get two ketchups when you normally have four. Chick-fil-A has put notices out saying due to industry-wide supply chain shortages, some items like sauces may be unavailable. We apologize for any inconvenience. I dined at a Chick-fil-A. In fact, right over here beside me, I'm still sipping on my, oh, I love these things, the big giant Chick-fil-A cups. They have a really good styrofoam cup. I'll just read their message since I'm bragging on Mr. Kathy's intervention here, Chick-fil-A. Lemonade plus sweet tea equals little sips of joy. Try Sun Joy. Did you realize that Chick-fil-A has something called Sun Joy? Well, that's what they're promoting on the cup that I'm sitting here holding. But let me just give you a little sound effect of me enjoying Chick-fil-A tea. Mmm. Ah, good. Yes. Okay, back to reality here on the Y'all Show. So, yeah, you might have a real shortage when you go to Chick-fil-A. My biggest complaint when I went there Wednesday is the fact that they don't have ice cream cones. I don't know if that's a coronavirus reason, but I love their ice cream. 
there at Chick-fil-A. And the, the darn Chick-fil-A I went to only offered you ice cream in a little tiny bowl. It's just not the same without that cone. <sighs> okay. I, but I know things are really messed up right now, so I won't be too critical on Chick-fil-A. How about this story from Florida? A woman there, 28 years old, allegedly dressed up as a student at a Miami high school to promote her Instagram account. And now she faces charges of burglary, interference with an educational institution, and then resisting an officer without violence. 28-year-old Audrey Nicole Francisquini accused of handing out flyers to students promoting her social media account while wearing a backpack and carrying a skateboard and recording her interactions on her phone when she was stopped by school security. That according to Miami TV station WFOR. All this in an effort, allegedly, to promote her Instagram account. She later was arrested. Yeah, don't want to do that when you're 28 years old. She allegedly told an officer that she was a student looking for the registration office and was stopped a second time when she continued to hand out flyers. The school was advised of a potential threat on campus when she allegedly refused to leave, but the woman left through a side door before she could be stopped. Police identified her through, wow, some real investigative work there in Miami. They identified her through her Instagram, and she was later arrested at her home in North Miami Beach. She faces, again, charges of burglary in addition to interfering with an educational institution. She didn't evidently maybe maybe she did she it looks like she didn't go into the school but she's there on school grounds promoting her instagram account what an idiot if true this 28 year old south floridian here on today's y'all show i i know people are obsessed with their social media but when you go to a school and you're 10 years older than the students there are those that are even seniors or 10 years older maybe there's something going on if you know what i I'm talking about we have a list of some of the best places to buy a beach house this year. If you're in the market for doing that as vacation rental site Vacasa recently found the 10 best spots to buy a beach house in the country. If you've got a little extra coronavirus stimulus money out there and you just can't wait to spend it, it looks like, according to the report, Cape Hatteras in North Carolina was the best place for beach house buyers the area has a cap rate of 8.6%, median home sale price of $379,000, according to Vacasa. According to the report, Vacasa considered each location's average property tax, average utility cost, average HOA fee, average insurance and property management fees, all to calculate the average cap rate. So Cape Hatteras comes in at number one. A place called Ocean Shores, Washington is two. These are the best places to have a beach house, according to this report. Number three, Dolphin Island in Alabama comes in at three. New Buffalo, Michigan, four. Another North Carolina town, Corolla, North Carolina, checks in at four, or rather five. Number six, hey, I need to go check this out, Kauai South, that is in Hawaii. Number seven, I used to live on this island in the summer. It's awesome. Isle of Palm, South Carolina, just outside of Charleston. Cap rate of 5.8%. The median home sale price, ooh, I think I can afford this. <laughs> I wish. $708,000 there at the Isle of Palms. Walele, Hawaii is another beach to be in consideration, along with Hawaii's South Koala. And lastly, Bolivar Peninsula in Texas is among the 10 plus best places to have a beach house 
in 2021. All of this from research from that website I was telling you about. If you want to go check it out, the best places to own a beach house this year, according to this report. A tiger is still on the loose in Houston, Texas. Be on the lookout. I don't think it's been caught quite yet. So, oh, just be careful. Look around the corner when you're out there taking the trash out tonight. And it is roaming around. It's been out there for a couple of days. It's a nine-month-old male tiger from India, according to sources there in the Houston area. A state flag of Tennessee is flying proudly over a Capitol building. But this is not in the state of Tennessee that you're going to see this flag flying. It's actually flying over the old Capitol building in Raleigh, North Carolina, as part of a movie shoot as photos began circulating of the volunteer state's official flag flying atop the old Capitol in Raleigh. The North Carolina Department of Administration revealed the flag had been given to them and and had been given permission to fly it as part of this movie. The movie is called Evolution of Nate Gibson. It began shooting this week in Raleigh at the building on Union Square in downtown Raleigh, the state capital there. And this is at the old capital. This new movie stars Marsha Gay Harden, Diane Ladd, and Charlie Rowe. It's a coming-of-age story about an artist and mother of two who must find a way forward after her teenage son's life is forever altered by a freak accident. By the way, the North Carolina old capital built in 1840. A lovely building. I think their official state capital in Raleigh now is more of like a high-rise building, nothing too spectacular. Not as cool-looking, in my opinion, as the old capital in Raleigh. And I think Florida's state capital, the same exact thing. The, the They have an old building in Tallahassee that pales in comparison. It's far better than the current modern state capital building they have there for the Sunshine State. And then lastly here, as we wrap up our headlines of news, a woman wakes up to find blood dripping from her ceiling in El Paso, Texas. Anna Cardenas woke up to this discovery of blood on her face that had seeped through the ceiling while she was asleep. Now, that would be something a little bit strange to wake up to. She woke up at around 4 to the sound of something dripping when she got up to see what the noise was. She thought it was rain, but it actually was blood scattered across her walls and her body. And she had slept with the ceiling fan on, and the blood had seeped through the right above the fan, and the blades of the ceiling fan caused it to scatter. And evidently it came from the man upstairs, not God, (laughs) but uh, someone evidently had died, her upstairs neighbor. And what a gruesome thing to have to tell you about here on today's Y'all Show. So gruesome, I'm going to have to bring Art Cruz in here and help me get through this. How would you like to wake up with blood dripping on your face, sir? Uh, well, it's not one of the things I look forward to in the rest <laughs> of my life. I wouldn't put it on my bucket list, John. Uh, but uh, it makes for a good news item, doesn't it? But it brings to question, you know, it's something we'd all, everybody, as far as I know, everybody's going to die one day. Yes, sir. And sadly, there's a lot of people out here who die and nobody's there for their death. They die, die, alone. On, mm-hmm. die alone and mm-hmm. unless someone checks in on them. They have we have stories like this. That's right. That's and it's right. just a gruesome thing, but it's reality and that's what happened in Texas this week. As far as I know too, everybody's you said as far as you know, everybody will die. As far as I know too, John, and as far as anybody that I've ever talked to. As a matter of fact, we wake up uh and as every second goes by we've got less time on this earth. So um 
do what you can to see that you don't end up like um, this man uh, alone. Yes, that is true. Art Cruz here. It is our closing argument, and we're having fun talking here on today's Y'all Show. We have lots more to get to before this Thursday edition of the show about the South wraps. Stay tuned. We're going to get into some sports talk this hour, but I've got a burning question I've got to ask Art. Not quite as burning as this story about a man dying alone, but it's similar. It's pretty heavy-hitting, and I'll tell you, and I'll let Art answer this. When we come back from this break, this is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Hang on. into y'all accentuating the south is what we do here y'all.com is the south's homepage. go there right now john rawl now with art cruz it's our closing argument we've got some sports to get to but first here in this segment art i'm going to get serious with you you're a smarter than, man than me i'm pretty sure of that and about that john and i want to make sure that i ask this question of you someone much more intelligent here I've been watching, as we all have over the last year, the deaths from coronavirus. Mm-hmm. We're somewhere in the 600,000 range. Right. Have you seen the number lately? Uh, no, I don't know. This. I don't know any more accurate numbers than that, John. Okay. And after seeing that and also kind of following the news here lately about what's going on in Asia, it got me to thinking, and this is my question to you, and if you as a listener want to weigh in, 803-816-1170, when I look at the coronavirus deaths here in ju- just this country, mm-hmm. it's it's. I'm going to pull it up here to be more specific, but it's around 600,000. We lost 407,000 Americans in World War II. Okay. We lost around 700,000 in the Civil, Civil War. War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're up around 600 already with the coronavirus. It looks like we're getting a grip of what's going on, and maybe those numbers will definitely come down and not have as many deaths. But my question to you, Art, this uh, is staggering the amount of deaths we've seen from this virus and then the way China has been acting mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, frankly. Mm-hmm. It almost begs the question, are we at war? And you're a smarter man than wow, me, so what a question. answer that one. Especially, there. what a way to come in here and yeah. answer that one. And make no mistake, this this is not something I prepared for. This is not this is not <laughs> even extemporaneous. Extemporaneous speaking is when you've got notes and you yeah. act like you're speaking off the cuff. Well, you can tell me no no answer. This is you have no answer. This is impromptu. This is absolutely this is this is what's called ambush. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are we at war, John? We're constantly at war right. with our enemies. Uh, there are different degrees of war there's 
Obviously, the most severe kind is a shooting war like we saw in World War II, and the most the most striking act of war, of course, in not in my lifetime, but in recent history, is the uh, atomic bomb attack on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, there is proxy war. Uh, proxy wars are being fought all over the world right now. Proxy wars being fought right now in Israel. Uh, uh, from the Gaza Strip, Hamas is firing rockets into Israel right now. They are a proxy of the number one terrorist nation in the world, the state of Iran. Uh, there is no direct action by Iran against Israel at this time, uh, but it's a state of war. It's just a proxy war. We had a proxy war in Vietnam where China fought against the United States, not directly, but their proxy, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong. Are we at war right now with China? Absolutely. It's not, not a it's so not you're a shooting, say yes. It's not, it's, not, it's not a shooting war necessarily. It's not a proxy war in the vein of Korea, Vietnam, or what we're seeing now in the Middle East, but we're at war. We're constantly at war. They're our enemy. Just because no one is loading up an AR fifteen and firing or loading up uh, any other kind of weapon and firing directly on the other country's soldier doesn't mean you're at war. Uh, there are unwritten rules and written rules. Uh, we are in the area of unwritten rules. There's little doubt in my mind, and I may be wrong, of course, it's just one man's opinion, there's little doubt in my mind that this was something that was unleashed on the world by China, or at the very least something that occurred in Wuhan that once it was unleashed on the world, China had made a decision not to be cooperative with the rest of the world and um, stop this virus as quickly as they should. There are multiple reasons why they did that. But, yeah, we're at war. Absolutely, John. My thought of bringing this is not to gang up on the Chinese just because the actual death count here in America is 583,000. California alone has had... 62,467 deaths. Texas here in the south, right at 51,000 coronavirus deaths. You start adding those numbers up, I mean, Texas is almost to where the deaths in Vietnam was That's right. here in this country. So and I, the total deaths, for perspective, as you said, not as many as the Civil War, but more deaths than we suffered in World War II. Yeah, and, and it was a malicious thing, in my opinion, from China. They didn't do anything to help out, try to curtail this. We've had other what's called coronaviruses before, mm-hmm. nothing quite this deadly, and they they have benefited. Has China benefited from this? I would say definitely. I mean, that's the people uh, – when you do have the next step beyond a proxy war and when you actually declare war on another country – there is a reason that weapons are used that the populations in the warring countries knew nothing about before the war started. Mm-hmm. Those are secrets, of course. Uh, when we engaged in the first Gulf War, people were amazed at the technical side of the weapons we used. Those kind of weapons are not known to the general public. And when wars are fought these days, there are always weapons that are unleashed that are surprising, new, and unknown to the public. The next war, who knows what weapons will be used, John, but it won't be a shooting war with simply guns and gunpowder and the like. Will there be viruses used? 
I think so, absolutely. Cyber attacks, of course, everyone expects that. But this is just part of the development of countries, uh, of their war stockpiles. This is something China will use. When you have, again, this is just the opinion of Art Cruz and no one else, but China and other countries experiment with germ or virus warfare. The United States does as well. And this one, either intentionally or by mistake, got away from the Chinese. And once it got away, I think they took a look and gathered the data on how quickly it spread and how badly the virus affected people. Uh, They have that data now. And if they want to use this uh, in a war, then uh, I think it's certainly something that uh, is it's an arrow in their quiver now and i mentioned how i thought that china has benefited and my justification for saying that is they're very they're very proactive now they are surrounding taiwan mm-hmm. they are looking to build a naval base in the atlantic probably on the west african coast and these are things i don't think they could have done quite so boldly if the coronavirus had not caused the world to come to a stop, and frankly, also help change the leadership of this country as a result of the coronavirus being such a, a plague, if you will, in 2020. Just our thoughts here on the All Show, but it begs the question. And if you have something to say about this, we welcome that thought here at 803 816 1170. This is the Y'all Show. See, we get heavy with Mr. Menza. Art Cruz here on Talk With Us Southern Accent. We're going to make Mr. Menza put on his sports Menza and come back and we'll have the latest on the NFL schedule release and more. This is y'all, y'all. National Football League releasing the 2021 schedule Wednesday evening. John Rawl with Art Cruz, and I'm doing my best. What's that guy's name? John Facenda. Yeah, that guy. John Facenda. That music, John Rawl, just makes me want to go home and tune up some NFL films, some old NFL films with John Facenda. <laughs> hey, but what, what a voice, and uh, what a great. I mean, he's synonymous with the NFL films. Well, he was the voice, but the guy that created NFL NFL films was Sable, right? That's right, Steve Sable, and I can't remember. I don't know if that's a senior. Steve or a was his son. Son, right? I'm trying to. Th- I don't remember the older Sable's name, but John Facenda was was the voice. Yeah, out of Philadelphia, so I believe where that okay. well, I'll operation. Take, I'll take your word for that, John. Yeah, I think so. Philadelphia. Hasn't done a whole lot since 1776, but one thing that it has done—they've been in a slump. Yeah, they've, they've been had a couple bit of, of bad centuries. Don't get on them so hard. <laughs> yeah, but they did come up with the NFL films. I'm pretty sure on that. All right. Speaking of the league, on Wednesday they announced the 2021 schedule for everybody, and 
Art Cruz, your thoughts on who benefited from this release? Oh, I don't know, John. I was just I looked pri- primarily. I focused on uh, the Titan schedule, and um, you know, they have a tough, tough five game stretch there in the sort of in the middle of the year. Uh, they play Buffalo, a team on the rise with Josh Allen and uh, quarterback, and then they face the Chiefs the following week. Then back to back. They get one of their primary rivals in the AFC East, the Colts. And then they play on the road, the Los Angeles Rams. And then they get to return home, and who knows how this one will turn out. Uh, They get to play the Saints. It will be the first year of the Drew Brees-less Saints. So, will that be a tough game to return home to play? I don't know, but looking at their schedule... To me, that is the toughest five-game stretch they have, and I think will we'll tell us a lot about where the Titans are going to end up this year. I think Las Vegas thinks they're going to have a— The Raiders? No, no, no. Las, the betting public thinks— uh, <laughs> The non uh, Yeah, the, not, not, not John Gruden uh, or any of those guys. It's uh, more the— um, I won't. I'll start to say a name of a betting house, but since they don't sponsor the show, I won't nope. give them. I won't give them any free advertisement. But anyway, the odds out of Vegas seem to indicate primarily that the Titans will. They're, they're over under and wins is nine and a half. Uh, golly, Bill, seventeen game season. I don't see the Titans going nine and eight this year. I'm I'm definitely going with the over there, and I'll put my money where my mouth is. I'll I'll probably place a bet on that for the Titans to go over nine and a half wins. What about your defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers? They open up on a Thursday against the Cowboys. Their schedule includes Week Two. They will be at Raymond James Stadium for a second consecutive week. The Falcons come to town in an NFC South clash as the Rams will be hosting the Buccaneers and Tom Brady week three. Then week four, Tom and company go to New England where the New England Patriots await in week four. How do you think the Buccaneers are going to fare here in 2021? I think the Bucs will fare fine. I, as long as they have Tom Brady at quarterback and as long as he can throw the football. There's nothing wrong with his brain. Tom Brady can outthink most any quarterback in the league and one of the top thinking quarterbacks of all time. The Bucks have signed pretty much everybody. I believe they've gotten back 21 of their 22 starters from last year. They've added a piece here and there. I expect them to be just as strong as last year, but it's so hard to repeat. It's so hard to repeat, John. If you look at historically what the Bucks have done in terms of replacing their players from their Super Bowl year is something that most teams do. Uh, I've read where many people are thinking, oh, the Bucks are going to dominate again this year because they have signed most of the players they had last year. Well, that's not necessarily the case because, as I said, most of the time Super Bowl teams sign 20 of their top 22 players or 20 of their top 23 or 24 players. So what the Bucks have done in the offseason is nothing unusual. What would be unusual, quite frankly, is if they took those same players and won the Super Bowl again. Uh, I expect them to be competitive, but just the odds are against them repeating. All right. Art Cruz here. How about the Dallas Cowboys? I know no matter where you live in the South, if you get in your car right now and you drive around for about five minutes, you're going to see somebody with a Dallas Cowboys sticker on their car right. or a license plate. It's still America's team. Uh, uh, you know, Jerry Jones has 
been a really great owner, in my opinion, fantastic marketer. I don't have the latest Forbes values of what sports franchises are worth, but the Dallas Cowboys are one of the most valuable sports franchises in the world. Up there with Manchester United uh, soccer in England, uh, the New York Yankees and the like. But Jerry Jones has been, in my view, not a very good general manager. Most owners of football teams or sports franchises generally hire someone to be the general manager to make the personnel moves that are necessary to make a team competitive. They hire that person and then leave that person alone. Hire some good help and then get out of the way. But Jerry doesn't do that. Jerry is the Cowboys general manager, and he spent a lot of money on some questionable deals here lately. The Cowboys haven't been in the playoffs since oh lord i wish i'd looked up the year but they haven't they haven't been in the playoffs for too long uh he's an expert marketer but he's a poor general manager they will have Dak prescott back this year full time uh i think Dak's an underrated quarterback the cowboys in my opinion will win the nfc east this year it's a weak division uh, i think they will prevail and probably get to take the Cowboys' temperature quickly because we know they're playing a good team in Tampa Bay opening weekend, and we'll just see where the Cowboys stand after week one. Yeah, the schedule for the boys includes a game on the road pretty early against the Los Angeles Chargers. They've got the Patriots on the road October 17th. They play the Kansas City Chiefs in KC toward Thanksgiving Home games for Dallas include the Carolina Panthers, October 3rd. They've got the Denver Broncos coming into the Metroplex, November 7th. And then the aforementioned Las Vegas Raiders will be that Thanksgiving game on November 25th. And that's a look at Dallas. You mentioned Jerry Jones. You know what it's called when Jerry Jones starts making his maneuvers and really overstretching his means you know what that's called no i don't it's called gerrymandering gerrymandering oh okay that's uh that i need a rim shot from the yeah, the, from, from, yeah let's from talk about some quarterbacks there. nfl before we wrap up our sports talk okay. here allegedly the green bay packers are going to sign blake bortles former ufc ufc ucf qb <laughs> or ufc and he might should have gone to the ufc they're looking to sign him to a one-year deal to help out in case Aaron Rodgers ain't in GB, what's up with that? Well, I mean the the optics of that of that are horrible. Uh, I see why the Packers are doing this, and under normal circumstances, uh, it would be something that would fly under the radar and wouldn't even be newsworthy. The the path, uh, excuse me, the Packers, to my knowledge, only have two quarterbacks in camp. That's Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. They need more arms. They they sign Bortles, and they'll probably sign another quarterback, but. In this environment, with Aaron Rodgers allegedly saying he wants out of Green Bay, a signing like this, which shouldn't even be a blip on the radar, is suddenly big news. People think, well, they've signed Blake Bortles to take Aaron Rodgers' place. Well, no, no, that's not true. All they've done is signed another quarterback to get him in camp. If the Packers do deal Aaron Rodgers, they'll deal Aaron Rodgers for another quarterback in return, uh, Jordan Love hasn't played a snap in Green Bay. They're not going to throw him in to the Wolves without any experience whatsoever. So the Blake Bortles signing, 
should be just a blip on the radar, and it's something after we get through talking about it here today, John, will probably be not be talked about again. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow, just to prove you wrong. <laughs> hey, another quarterback controversy, if you will, not quite as big of a deal as Aaron Rodgers, but Teddy Bridgewater recently traded from Carolina to the Denver Broncos, and now on Wednesday he kind of came out putting Carolina under the bus. He said he was disappointed about how the Panthers practiced yeah, he's actually said this in a podcast, and he talked about how the Panthers didn't practice enough two-minute offense or red zone to succeed. He said this in the All Things Covered podcast with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden. And now today, the coach of the Panthers, Matt Rule, is responding, saying that he was disappointed that Bridgewater didn't feel good about the club's practice methods. He said, that he's not going to delve into specifics, Matt Rule said about Bridgewater, but some of that is specific to us. He says he feels really good about their preparation. Remember, the Panthers had about a eight games that they could have won, but they fell apart on their chance to win a game, and Bridgewater couldn't get them across the finish line to win any of those eight games that they could have won, and now he's criticizing. I guess – I thought there was a standard, if not mandated, by the players' union of how each team had to practice. It looks like the Panthers would practice on Saturday. They'd have like a full practice the day mm-hmm. before a game. Mm-hmm. Most teams don't practice on Saturday. They travel. So I don't I don't know what the rules are. Well, there's no specific rules, and most teams really aren't traveling. Some travel the day before, but it's better to get in, get in your hotel, and uh, at least have a day for a walkthrough. But sometimes, John, I think I miss my calling by not being a sports agent and being able to advise these guys like Teddy Bridgewater when it's best to keep their mouth shut. You know, <laughs> I don't care if the Panthers' practice habits are horrible. I don't care if what they did was horrible. Teddy Bridgewater gains nothing by going public and saying this. How does he enhance his brand? How does he increase his worth by coming out and publicly criticizing his former team? He doesn't. All he does is make himself look like someone who's a, who is a wild card. You, at this point, would be hesitant to sign him because you know that if you did release him or you did something that he didn't necessarily agree with, he's one of those guys that's going to go public and be critical of your organization in the press. There is nothing Teddy Bridgewater gained by going public with this information. The best thing he could have done is just accept the fact that he wasn't with Carolina anymore. Maybe tell his new team, well, this is what we did in Carolina. Here's where I think we could have improved upon it, and let's see if we can do that here in this new place. That would have gained him much more credibility than calling one of his friends in the press and criticizing a team that he's no longer with. All right, good point. Art Cruz here in our closing argument this third hour of the y'all show we'll take a quick break come back with a couple of festivals taking place across the southland in this month of may here this weekend as we're about to the midway point or more of this month it's y'all talk with a southern accent wrapping up y'all again thanks to chris hillman for being on in hour two and his band the birds is going to take us out of here today with a little turn 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 hey 
Maybe you are looking for a little music and more for this weekend. We've got a listing of some festivals taking place across the Southland. In Florence, Alabama this weekend, it's the Arts Alive Festival. Excuse Mem- me? Arts Alive. Oh, oh. <laughs> I like the way you did that. See? <laughs> Boomching. In Memphis, it's the 2021 World Championship Barbecue Cooking Contest taking place at Tom Lee Park. Just avoid the I-40 Bridge if you're heading to the Bluff City. In Atlanta this weekend, it's the Chastain Park Spring Arts and Crafts Festival. I said arts again. Man, you're picking yeah. my name in vain continually. This yeah, morning. all right. Also in Waxahachie, Texas this weekend, it's the Scarborough Renaissance Festival. Get your jousting in in Waxahachie, Texas. Lexington, Kentucky, it's the Kentucky Sheep and Fiber Festival. I know you're headed there, Art. Oh, can't wait. Got, got my tickets purchased and, and i'm go just let me let me know when the show's over and i'm there all right i might also see you at the in natchez at the Mudbug music festival along the mississippi there in mississippi little river south carolina this weekend it's the world famous blue crab festival in little river sc right on the north carolina border in lexington tennessee this weekend it's the 14th annual henderson county folk festival Check that out at the Henderson County Courthouse. And finally, in Branson, Missouri this weekend, it's the Bluegrass and Barbecue Festival at Silver Dollar City. Art has been so much fun here with you here in our closing argument. Everybody have a good rest of your Thursday. We'll be right back here for the Friday Y'all Show. Thank you for tuning in.